welcome everyone to your bubble of wellness through science, cultivating a new generation. This space of time and empowered information was designed so that you can have a relaxing adventure with your inner health, understanding its five core pillars that also assemble your life. We'll go deep into the science and wellness of nutrition, exercise and metabolism, emotions, consciousness and meditation, and abundance. So relax, enjoy, and keep a student mindset to cultivate your life. Welcome everyone to our podcast of Cultivating a New Generation in our episode 34, we are going to speak with Lucy Gable in the title of Remodeling Your Genes to Thrive. And Lucy is the author of Eat to Live and a leadership strategist and professor at San Jose University and George Washington University School of Medicine. And if she wants to speak more about herself. So Lucy, let us give us your background, please. Oh, thanks, David. By the way, thank you so much for having me. As I said, I'm so excited for this conversation with you because we have so much in common. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and thanks for introducing me. So <clears throat> I have two background areas, as you kind of mentioned. Um, I grew up in the science fields, and then when I went to college, I dove into the study of pre-medicine, basically, basically. And then I decided, after looking at medicine for a while, uh, you know, there's something more. There's something bigger than medicine. Medicine is like the last resort. It's the, the fix for something that's going on much deeper, and we have control over that deeper stuff which is our health and it's how we take care of ourselves so that's when i went on to get my master's in exercise physiology and nutrition specifically how it affects health and uh so that's one side of me the other side is leadership so i've been a leader in a variety of areas i've worked at the department of defense i've worked for private companies i've been an entrepreneur and a vc funded startup founder and in all of this um, i also got my master's in leadership uh, business as well so now i'm here and it's prime time you know the two sides are coming together leadership who we are how we lead our lives and lead other people um, goes hand in hand with how we take care of ourselves and other people. And it's not, it's about knowing how to do that, of course, but it's also about actually doing it. So we've got two levels, right? We've got the level of learning. And I find that, you know, obviously we don't all take courses in nutrition or physical ailments or physiology. So a lot of us don't have the basic foundational knowledge of taking good care. And we get that knowledge from random places, you know, social media, the news. And so it can be just partial knowledge, you know, incomplete knowledge, which can then be a little bit dangerous, right? We can be lopsided in how we take care of ourselves or what we know. And then we move that into that 
actual doing phase. So there's knowledge and then there's action. And that's also where a lot of people get stuck. They know things, but they don't want to do it. They don't know how, they don't know how to change their lives, you know? So now I'm coming into, that is why I wrote the book, Eat to Lead, <laughs> because yeah. it's the foundation of how food works in the body, the whole picture, not just a little bit, and also a little bit about how to understand research today. And then in the back of every chapter, there's work, you know, things you can do. You can take a big bite out of it or a small bite, whatever you can handle and just work on something small based on what you learned in the book. And that's how we make meaningful, lasting change, you know? So, and of course I'm enjoying teaching and I also work with leaders on how to change their environment for their organizations into a healthy environment um, and also how to change their own lives so that they can be the kind of leader that they want. And, and when I talk about healthy environment, David, I know you're going to go into this yourself, but it's not just about, you know, providing a, an exercise class once a week or providing good you know, benefits. <laughs> That's just a little piece of what we should be doing. But it's also about a healthy environment with trust and less stress and the right kind of flexibility and, you know, people feeling good at work. And that also has to do with our health in a big way. And so I just want to pass this on to you, David, because you and I have a lot in common and we agree on these things. And I think that's really where we're going to dive into today. So can you share also just remind the audience a little bit about what your background is and what you're doing? Of course. Thank you for asking, Lucy. And as you mentioned, uh, our goals start from one side of the picture and we are lured or we are attracted to certain kind of things as myself i also was attracted at the first place by science by how the body works so i major in biochemistry my my bachelor's degree is in biochemistry then i did a master's degree in molecular biomedicine i was in the university of pennsylvania working with research in vaccines in dendritic cells, in the immune response. Then I came back to Mexico and I was working here in multiple um, pharmaceutical industries in the major five top pharma companies. I was in the research department of vaccines or uh, pharma as they call it. And we also were uh, doing this clinical trials with different types of medications. And we observe that also there was a placebo effect, something that for me was very, very attractive because I was early on asking how can people get better with nothing, with just the thought of knowing that they are going to receive something that they, it's going to help them. So that made me realize that we have a much more bigger picture of the things and, in, and it's not just taking something to create health, as you mentioned, 
It is not just <laughs> taking the basic knowledge. It is going beyond and it is knowing yourself and it is knowing how you work. So then I was again attracted to the academy. So I, I returned to teaching. I taught courses in molecular biomedicine, in uh, molecular biology, in genetics, in immunology. And I was also pursuing a PhD in epigenetics of obesity. Uh, so I started to dive deep in the, in the area, in the research of epigenetics. And that's the answer of what we are looking for. The answer is the environment. The answer is everything that surrounds us, as you mentioned, and it is not just one piece of the puzzle. It is not just what you eat. It is not just what you do in exercise. It is about how you sleep, your emotions, and of course, your economical or professional situation, because if you are not motivated by what you are doing, of course, you are going to be uh, biased into a depressed mode or into an anxiety mode that is going to start pulling all the other areas into the unbalance or the this is no as i like to separate the world the this is is just an unbalance of our bodies no and it is always giving us the messages what we are too distracted to listen to to our bodies, no? So I totally resonate with what you are doing. And this is where we merge, as you mentioned, the science side and the spiritual or the other environmental factors that are contributing to our health, no? Mm, yeah, so, <laughs> so powerful. I, and I loved, uh, just back to the placebo effect that you talked about early on in your career that you saw was happening. You were thinking there's something so much bigger to this and how can people be getting better from nothing? I remember reading that the placebo effect is actually a big percentage of what we find in the research studies. Do you know that offhand? Often it is around 30 to 50 sometimes 30 to 50 percent so yeah. it varies of course on the on the ailment or, or on, the, on the disease but if you can see a 30 if you can see a 50 that means that 70 percent of the of the things are just controlled by the things that we are thinking no so yeah. the things that we are doing the 50 percent is a lot of people that is just getting better with nothing so and that can be improved i think more if we just trust more in what we have inside no <laughs> yeah our body's ability to repair itself and to be healthy we're naturally supposed to be healthy yeah i i was reading about um by the way epigenetics is such an exciting area that uh I'm always looking into that. And that's really the, I think, proof that we can make ourselves better or keep ourselves well with just not just thinking, but acting, of course, and how the and that's proof on how the environment affects not just, you know, what we look like, but 
or how we feel that day, but all the way down to our genes, epigenetics, it's the science and the study of what comes above the genes and affects the genes. So um, yeah, I was reading about that just this morning <laughs> and how just parts of the environment, but let's just talk about food, for example, molecules in good food, plants basically, will turn on or off a gene. <laughs> so yeah. they can turn on the healthy genes, turn off the unhealthy genes. Basically, that's what they do. They don't turn on bad genes, generally speaking. So, and even if we're born with some genes from one parent, one side of the family that say, oh, you're, you know, you're meant to have diabetes or heart disease or, you know, some other ailment, that if we do the right things, we can turn off or postpone that gene. We can stop that those genes from actually acting out in our lives. And I think that is so exciting. And that's once what you were saying back to, we can get better from nothing. <laughs> it goes hand um, in hand. That nothing is is the thought, no? Is mm. is the the intention and the belief that we have that our bodies are going to repair themselves with the help of the trust. But many times we place the trust in something external because we are also primed by all the society and by all the media that we need something from outside so that we can improve the, the inside of our bodies. But what really change is just the thought that we have, no? It's just a vibration. I was also listening to a documentary today about the vibrational nature that we, that we have and how our bodies and the vibration that we emit usually is about 7.8 hertz or pro more or less, that's why they approximate the number to 10 hertz. And that's also the vibration of the earth. That's also the vibration of nature. So every time we are around nature, every time we connect with ourselves in meditation, we get to that point of vibration and we repair. And there was a very uh, attractive study for me that was done in the early 1930s in, in a German uh, university. And they placed the students in, in a in the basement of a facility where they were not able to, to have the, the sunlight, Unlike, where they were completely isolated of, of nature. And they were, uh, they were put there for several months and they measure their health and how it was deteriorating. And they also measure the vibration of their bodies and the vibration was also getting disrupted by isolating themselves from the, the vibration of the earth. So it is amazing how these kind of vibrations are going to change us and how all the, the things that we have now in the digital stage are also um, leading us to disrupt our vibrations, no? Mm. 
Well, I mean, and there, that for me is obviously research that is just in the beginning phases, you know, there are a lot of things that we can't see with the naked eye that are just beginning to be researched, for example, like you're saying, you know, vibe how we vibrate and we do because we're molecules actually may we're small teeny atomic particles that mm -hmm. are together and more space than there is mass right it's so interesting but that might be a little too deep <laughs> yeah yeah for that that's deeper because it's physics and it's all the quantum theory and those things but it is just how how we don't know so much about ourselves and how we by trusting and by repairing the contact with the simple things, we can just adjust our, our bodies to, to keep the balance and to keep in health. You know? Well, that's so interesting how you say, don't know so much about ourselves. So when we first got together to talk about doing this podcast, um, we had a little conversation and I think that you reached out to me after my post about age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I do want to chat a little bit about that because there's, and it goes right along with placebo effect. I mean, if one, if everyone can keep that in mind as we're talking about it, that, um, I, when I was studying, beginning my study in physiology, exercise physiology and nutrition, I started learning, this was before epigenetics, so uh, I started learning about how when we exercise regularly throughout life, our bodies can have the internal workings of someone 30 years younger. Yes. Now the skin is different, but now we know a lot more about the skin too. So that's coming, <laughs> but we started learning about the insides, the muscles, the, the blood vessels, the heart, you know, and how much younger they look than the actual age of the human, just from exercising regularly and somewhat intensely on a regular basis. So that's when I started, you know, I, I believed long ago that I'm, and I'll share that story maybe later, but you know, about our ability to control or have an effect on how we age and what happens to our bodies as we go through life. This started to be proof to me like, huh, <laughs> wow, yeah. there are 60 year olds that have some parts like a 30 year old and that's really exciting. And that was actually my motivation that right there, you know, to get teaching about this and also get, make sure I kept doing it myself. And so then there's this other side, though. Um, I was lucky enough to be interested in that and learn about that very early. But then there's another side where I think a lot of people reside about age. And that is they have an idea about what aging looks like. You know, oh, at 40, it should look like this. At 50, it looks like this. At 60, it looks like this. And then that's what they believe. And that's what happens. Okay. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think there are many ways. One of them we just talked about, you know, what literally what we think is a lot of times how our body reacts. And we don't know the specifics of that, but we've seen it, right? And then the other part is psychologically, we have done research in uh, what we believe, what we think is what our mind is turned on to finding. 
So if we have a belief, the mind will be much more open to seeing proof of that belief, you know, rather than seeing the other side of the coin. So if I'll just say, uh, I remember in my twenties, you know, I had a friend that would, would, that said, oh, you know, my knees, I'm getting old. And I'm like, you don't say you're that, you're, you're 20, you know, <laughs> don't say that. But that person, the reason why I said it is like, if you say that my knees are hurting, I'm getting old, you will constantly feel pain in your knees because that's what your brain, brain is attuned towards. And you yeah. will constantly see, watch yourself get older and your knees get worse. But if your brain is attuned towards something else, which you can train yourself to do, you know, like, no, this is just a temporary pain. Maybe I'll stretch and it might feel better. Oh, I just stretched and it did feel better. I'm I'm perfectly fine, you know? Then we have a different way of aging. But at the same time, if we expect ourselves to be and look and feel a certain way as we go on in life, that's what I was saying, that's what'll happen. So I decided to stop thinking or even knowing what my age was about 15 years ago because I don't want to have an expectation of what I should be like today or what I should be doing or how I should be feeling or like, you know, how, you know, anyway, that's, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfectly uh, blended with the, with the talk about the vibrations and, and the beliefs and the placebo. So it, it all links together because it is the, the vibration of your thoughts. It is the attraction. It is the attention of the things that we are primed. We are primed by, by society or by labels, by the chronological age. How are we supposed to be? And everything is already defined for us in certain stages of life. So if we are attentive to those messages of course we lose our ability to reverse the things and to really uh, have more attunement or balance with what our bodies are dictating us and our bodies are doing and those messages that we need the the certain kind of food or those messages that we need to exercise in certain time of the day or in certain days, those are the subtle messages of the body of telling you, you need to detoxify something. You need to get rid of something and you need to start eating something different that might not be what the society is telling you to repair yourself. But, and when we are children, we, are very connected with those messages. And I know this because my daughter it has different kind of tastes for, for the food. So at certain times of the season or of the year, she demands to eat, for example, let's say eggs, no? And, and she has the crave to eating egg. So we give her eggs, even if she wants at the morning or in the afternoon, it doesn't matter because that's what the body is asking. And it asks for that because it needs the, the minerals and the vitamins and everything that is inside of the egg. So the body already knows what you need. So if you just pay attention to the messages and as you are children, you are not distracted with what society tells you. So that's what happens. 
she doesn't eat also candies because she she doesn't like sugar too much because we we are healthy in that way we have get rid of many of the sugary things although we sometimes have those pleasures no but she she's not anxious about them so she knows that when she wants to eat them she can and oh, nothing will happen nothing will happen because she doesn't do it often and she do, she just do it by what she feels so if we connect the feeling with what we need that's when we synchronize those energies no oh my gosh that is awesome i mean wow just so exciting to hear how you are doing that with your daughter at such a young age yeah. and right she's clean she doesn't have any preconceived notions or yeah. um she's just paying attention to her body and what it's asking for and that is such a pure example i love it <laughs> but also i I, tr I work with people on that too. And I talk about that in my book that to listen to the body. And it's so sad that, you know, adults, a lot of adults have lost their connection with their body. So they actually don't even really know how to start listening. What does that mean? You know, so we have to start from a really fundamental level and with food, especially i've been working on it myself you know for 20 or more years listening to how do i feel after that meal but now it's not only that meal but it's that one thing that i put in the meal that's a little different than th when i normally eat you know or that time that i ate it's a little different timing and i'm always paying attention to how my brain is acting now you know am i alert do i need food what kind of food do i need you know or sometimes it's even like today before I got together with you, I normally don't eat um, a specific time here. So I normally don't eat until two. That's when I start coming down. So if I'm going to be talking to you, I need food before. So I don't have this little downturn while we're talking, you know, so there's so much to pay attention to, but it starts with listening to what your body's asking for. And that's just such a skill that we all need to develop if we haven't been brought up with parents like you <laughs> yeah yes and and it is an innate skill it is something that that we have and but as you as you mentioned many of our background is not fostering that way of being it is just you need to eat more you need to finish everything that you have in the table you need to um or they sometimes don't know that information also and they gave in to those sugary uh, different traits that we have in in all the candies and all the the drinks that they are promoting for children and what they are provoking is just anxiety and it is that disconnection of what their body wants because now the body tastes something that is artificially made and of course it is designed to prime your body and it is designed to attack your hormones and your signals so what is what are you going to learn if you are not you are just going to create a disconnection or a disruption in the in the vibration no <laughs> i i just have the analogy 
of how when you are listening to a radio station and you are driving in the road, sometimes the signal is not getting clear. And as you enter into another state or into another area, you lose the signal and the connection. That is what the toxic food is doing with your signals, is creating resistance, is creating disconnection from the innate messages of your body. So the more we foster the toxic food, the more we disconnect ourselves. And that's how we grow up as adults that don't even believe that our body is talking to us. No. <laughs> don't believe, don't know that it is, don't hear it, you know. Yeah. And uh, look, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I say it in my book, my family, in my family growing up, we were focused on getting enough food. That was it. You know, wasn't like, what is it? What kind of food is It's like, are you full? <laughs> <laughs> Did you have enough? And that's where a lot of families are. I mean, especially now, you know, and there are, there are more things that we need to look at besides just having enough. I mean, I found uh, after learning about nutrition that it's not just eating the volume, there it's eating the combination of all the nutrients that are balanced so that your body tells your brain, like, I feel good now, I'm satisfied, but I don't have to feel full to feel like I had enough. I actually feel more energy. I feel charged. I feel better. You know, my brain is now more awake. That's really what we should be feeling after we eat. But um, you're right. I think many of us were taught, you know, we want to feel that tight pants feeling and then we know we're done, <laughs> you know, but that's not the case. <laughs> it's like we need to feel the belt until it goes all the way so that we can get out of the table. And, and that's the way we are also being, being taught. My grandmother also used to give us a lot of food when we were children until we got really, really full. So we were, of course, overweight and we had problems with um, not obesity, but we had overweight issues and we were disconnected from, from many of those messages, no? Because we didn't know and they didn't know. So it's just know. a cycle. Right, just we just didn't know. Yeah. An epigenetic cycle that is recycling, no? It is a thought <laughs> that is recycling there. David, I, I just want to share this. I, I love sweets and this goes back to your daughter too. How cool it is that you've taught her that having a little bit now and then is okay. And you'll, you can still be very healthy. You can eat sugar. It's just not, it's just the amount of sugar that people are eating these days. That's crazy. And it comes from, I think the fear of eating sugar because it's mm -hmm. like when we're afraid of eating it or back when we couldn't have it, like I actually wasn't able, I wasn't allowed to have sugar. It, sugar was not in my house. So at the time, um, while I was growing up, that was supposed to be a good thing. You know, we don't get to eat. But what happened was I would go to my friend's house and I would binge yeah. on sugar mm -hmm. because I couldn't have it. And I think that's not only what happens, you know, with children, if they're restricted from having certain things, they, they're going to get it somewhere, somehow, right? But then it's also with adults. When we tell ourselves we can't have that ever again, 
oh my gosh, we're going to want that so badly. So that's what I did with myself also in my uh, younger adult years, my teen, late teen and younger adult years was I also, you know, was on all these strict diets, you know, because I could never be thin enough. And, but then, you know, I couldn't have a lot of food. And then when I could eat it, when I gave, when I, you know, I would have, I don't know, uh, dessert for dinner. I would have dessert for dinner because I was an adult. Nobody was watching me or telling me what to do. And I know that this calories was about the same calories as my dinner. So I wasn't healthy, but I was thin, you know, and I wasn't feeling good. Uh, I was always tired. I didn't know how to eat. Mm. Uh, but that, that was my upbringing and the kind of weird things that go on in your head when you're not able to have things. And then we also don't recognize how awful we feel when we're not like, if we felt that way for most of our lives, we don't know how great we can feel when we all actually start eating better, the energy, you know, that we have and the amount that we're able to do and the uh, alertness and the even happiness, you know, that we feel when we're eating well and right. But if we haven't felt that before, we have no idea. Yeah, and that um, comparison that that you mentioned about thin and healthy and not always being the case, because sometimes you are deprived for certain foods, that's what also creates disruptions mainly in the psychological mind that people have of image, no? They they pay a lot of attention of the image that you are displaying and the health, but it doesn't, many times it is not matching, no? That doesn't mean that if you look good, you are ill, no? That that also is not the, the purpose <laughs> of, of the comment. It's just that we need to know how internally we are and how everything is working. And what you mentioned about feeling, how do you feel when you eat certain kind of foods is something that I also like to promote or to tell my daughter because she also tells me that sometimes when she eats those kind of too much things of sugar, she feels that that she's sleepy or she's tired or she's distracted. And that's what I tell her. Now I tell her that when she abuses the, the sugar, I mean, it's, it's okay to eat some pieces, but if, if you abuse it, your neurons get disconnected and they release their hands. No, I tell her that the, the neurons are always touching their hands and always making this connection so that they can work and think and, and process everything. And when you eat the average or more than the average of the sugar uh, limit, then your neurons got disconnected. And that's what she now knows. And she, she knows it so, so well that she tells the adults in her life and they are surprised <laughs> with them, with her, you know, because she's like, you shouldn't eat that much sugar, uh, grandma, because you are going to be disconnected from your neurons. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so funny because they pick up the messages and the information in a fun way, in a 
healthy way also that it is okay to eat, but not to abuse, no? So much, not to abuse. I love that. Um, and David, since you, you know, have studied all these, these things deeply, could you tell me now what you, do you really mean, you know, scientifically about disconnecting neurons? What, what were you me meaning to say to your daughter that you can't because it's too, you know, complex? complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when, when sugar is going above the, the level or the, or the threshold, what we are doing is that we are creating unconsciously um, a process that is an hypoglycemic uh, signal of our bodies. So there are two receptors in our cells. They are together in the membrane. And many times when, when one channel of sugar opens to let it process, the blood sugar is going down. And it is something that is primed by eating either too much sugar or this artificial sweeteners that we have in many foods. So the receptors are together and they are creating an indirect loop and they are creating that disconnection of, of the receptors. And that is going to prime your brain to send the signal of you need more sugar. But that is not true. That is just a, a disruption in your, in your connections of your membrane, of your gut, of your cells, and the sensation that you are having an, a hypoglycemic um, episode, no? So in my mind, tell me if this is a good generalization, it's almost like the body does an overcorrection. Like you've got so much sugar, and the body needs to bring it back down. If your working body is working correctly, it has to bring that sugar back down to normal. It can't stay high in your blood. Otherwise it's dangerous. So it's an overcorrection and the brain then thinks, oops, now, you, now you're too low. Is that kind of a good way of explaining it or? And yes, it is just that uh, the two receptors are, let's say this is the receptor of the artificial sweeteners and this is mm -hmm. the channel of the glucose, mm -hmm. the GLUT4. So they are very close in distance, let's say, no? So when these receptors feels that either you have too much sugar or you have artificial sweeteners, this is going to send a signal internally that is going to travel to the other channel to open in a wider space and demand more sugar and your blood sugar is going to go down so that is going to signal your brain so that you need more sugar no yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's just like reaction and action reaction yeah action and reaction yes indirect action and and you don't notice because of course this is at cellular level no right but we do notice when we get tired like you said after abusing okay. sugar uh, and that just uh, made me want to say a couple things. First of all, I, speaking of growing up and, you know, being restricted from sugar, I remember so well, my grandparents, uh, I learned my cousins and I would get together at my grandparents' house for holidays and they had everything, you know, banquet, beautiful buffet. My grandparents would spend so much time on 
making food and things. But of course, my favorite was the dessert. Of course, I didn't remember any of the other stuff. Um, and we would make um, ice cream sodas. <laughs> <laughs> they would have it, you know, in the fridge and my cousins and I would get together and we'd make an ice cream soda and we would, you know, when I was younger, we would maybe have one, but then I remember like maybe around 11 or 12, um, you know, I would just go and make myself like three, four, five ice cream sodas <laughs> because nobody was stopping me. Nobody saw me do it. I could just drink as much as I wanted and i didn't know why i felt so terrible afterwards you know it was so good but i felt so terrible and then later much later um you know i was eating much better much differently i wasn't having sugar much at all you know much sugar i wasn't overdoing the sugar i i have to say i eat sugar on a regular basis but it's very small amounts mm. um and i went to the first time i saw a wegmans it was in uh, virginia i was like huge grocery store the biggest i've ever seen and it was near the airport and i went there for the first time ever and they had like this giant candy aisle you know just like whew, all this candy for what seemed like you know a half a mile <laughs> and all my old favorites from when i was little i used to love this stuff you know so i had to tr like i got little bags you know you a whole thing where you open up and it comes down the silo, you know, so I just got a little bit, but of all of my old favorites, you know, so I ended up with like, maybe, you know, maybe a handful of, of yeah. candy, right. And I went into the car, I was like, Oh, I've got to try this. Oh, my God. I'm gonna try. So I tried every single one. And then it was all gone. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, that does not feel good. It's like a ball in, of wax in my stomach and I feel really tired. How could I have eaten all this? You know, when I was younger, I had no idea how bad it felt. You know, it's not that now I'm an adult and I can't handle it. It's that we didn't know. Now I'm so much healthier, you know, and I know now what feels bad and what feels good. And I have this much better level of feeling good on a regular basis so yeah i just thought that was quite interesting yeah that's that's the the feeling that that many people have when when we abuse sugar i also have a crave for chocolates not for the candies but for the chocolate and also when i abuse that those kind of foods I automatically feel it in the in the energy, as you mentioned, your energy really goes down and your brain is more distracted and you will feel sleepy because of that episode of hypoglucemia that you are provoking now. So it is normal that when people, let's say in the office, as you as you should have grown in your book about how many people in the industry or in any corporate job they they just eat what they gave them in the cafeteria or in the area that they have near and once they return from the lunch they are very sleepy and they are very slow to think or they have problems to take decisions because they overeat or they eat too much sugary things even in the drinks no even in in the in the liquids that they consume so when they abuse that and they feel like that that's 
the reflection of the of the hypoglycemic shock that we are having no and then that's a great thing to bring up david because our brains really do run on sugar it runs on blood glucose so we we run on glucose it's the kind of sugar that the body needs that we create from our food um and so i feel like people in the office they feel like they're getting tired or you know even at home <laughs> they feel like they're getting tired or and maybe they don't realize they're getting tired but what they realize is they're craving sugar yeah. Because that's what the body will do. I need simple sugar. I need energy, which is what. So we the, so we just go for the sugar because we feel the craving. Whereas if we stop for a moment and think, when was the last time that I had a real meal? Oh, five, six, seven hours ago. You know, I think it's time for a meal. <laughs> Eat yeah. the food first, then see what happens. Maybe you. From what I've experienced, you might not even crave the sugar anymore because now your body has the energy that it needs. And that's really what it's asking for. It's not asking for, you know, that mm -hmm. candy. Yeah. Or that sweets. But also, um, for sure, if we still have that craving and we have a little piece of chocolate or something like that mm -hmm. after, it's such a small part of everything else we've eaten we've got all that great nutrients already in our digestive system our microbiome is happy and eating it and then it doesn't affect us as much because it doesn't go straight to the you know the brain and that system that we're talking about so it's all mixed in with all the other good stuff it's not as much we don't even want as much to eat it it doesn't take as much because we've already started bolstering our blood sugar with the meal that we've eaten so there are better times to have sugar <laughs> than yeah. others and um and i always talk about that you know put it off if you if you can afford you, you know if you could have your meal and you find out you you can not have that craving then don't but if you have to have to have that then there are better times to eat it yes exactly and it is not depriving as you mentioned because just the the notion that you are banning or prohibiting something is going to make your brain crave it more so it is just the opposite that you have to do and as you mentioned if you start with the meal and then maybe at the end you want something sweet you can eat just a piece of chocolate or a piece of the sugar that you want and that's not going to be the the same amount as if you have started with the sugar so it is also uh, the mixing of the ingredients or the mixing of the food of the different macronutrients is going to make a different kind of peak in the insulin levels. So it is going to have a, a different reaction in your body because your body is going to feel that the food that you have requires a lower amount of insulin to process the sugar that it has not the peak levels of insulin that you would need if you start with a sundae or with a cake or with something like that no start with it <laughs> yeah exactly or only have it i mean yeah. it's quite interesting you know before i knew about nutrition back then again you know young teen years etc where i would eat you know i i remember eating a cinnabon from the mall i was so hungry 
and I smell that. Do you, I don't know if you remember the cinnabons, yeah. but it yeah. smells all over the mall and, you know, it just makes you want to have one. And, and then it's, you know, it's this big, but I wasn't full. And then I found out it was a thousand calories. And I'm like, how can I still want lunch after I had a thousand calories? It doesn't, didn't make sense to me at the time, but it is everything that we're talking about. It's like that kind of sugar, those kind of calories don't fill us up. No. Um, they do increase the insulin. It's a high spike and it absorbs really fast. And then we're left with nothing again. <laughs> so we need more. And then if we don't know that what we really need is a meal, then what? Maybe we'll eat another Cinnabon and then another one until we feel full. And then we're like 4,000 calories in. And, <laughs> and, and then we uh, don't have a space for the real food. No? Right. So that's that's a problem. And, and also um, what you mentioned about the calories is very, very important right now that we already, I think that we are losing the perception of calories matter more than than what you are really eating, no? Calories is, is just a measure that certain kind of foods can have, but many of them are empty calories and they are just going to prime your body for more and they are going to create a disruption in many of the hormones. And the other calories that come from real food are going to really... Uh, regulate your hormones and regulate everything that you are demanding no so yeah i love that i mean yes because we if we only uh calories are important i do talk about that in the book because they are a measurement and it's, it is important to know you know uh in that sense of what we were just talking about you know this whole cinnabon is one thousand calories and i'm not even going to be full versus I provide an example of a meal, you know, in a book with chicken and salad and potato and like even butter on your potato. And it's still, I don't remember the number, but less than a Cinnabon. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. and um, you will be so much more full and you'll, your energy will last so much longer and you won't have that insulin peak that we were just saying, the glucose peak. And uh, it's just so different. So there is that thing. It is a measurement, but it, but it's not okay to just go by calories either because like i was saying you could be thin and we were saying and not healthy <laughs> yes and, and also a good example of those calories is the artificial sweeteners no mm. they have zero calories or that's what they say or many foods now they have a label that is zero sugar but those zero zero sugar are having artificial sweeteners they are having aspartame they are having sucralose they are having all of these uh, synthetic sugars that are going to do the reaction of the, the receptors they are going to create that loop of hypoglycemia and anxiety so in the end you are trying to reduce the calories by consuming the artificial sweetener instead of the real sugar and you are fooling your your body or your cells into demanding more in the next three or four hours no yeah so interesting right how we can so it's all a lot about what we're choosing and the mixture of foods and also the timing of our foods 
to help our bodies to stay in high vibration and high energy mode, optimal thinking and movement and, and all those things. And that comes right back around to how we, we feed ourselves to affect our health, but also it affects our genetics. And David, I know in your book, you talk about how we translate, we transfer our health to our children in ways that you talked about, like how we raise the children, of course. But even now we're finding that a mother who is pregnant, you know, how she eats can change her genes and the genes of her child. And whether or not she's stressed can change her genes and the genes of her child. If she sleeps enough, same thing. I mean, there's all the epigenetics that we find we're finding now that we pass on to our children, even if it wasn't in our blood history line. Yes, that is extremely important. And as you mentioned, it is in, in one of the chapters of the book that I talk about that connection. It is in chapter two and chapter three is again in the in those topics that the example of the pregnant woman is having a, a turmoil in terms of the emotional chaos that she has with her partner and how all the stress that she has is priming her to eat poorly, to gain weight, to sleep uh, worse or less. And all of those messages are being received by the child. And as you mentioned, they are transferred into seven generations so not just this one is going to go along for other six generations if the other generations are not taking more consciousness and changing because the good news is that it is reversible now so if the next generation is doing something to improve their lives and their lifestyle the the payoff it's going to be in the next generation and in and of course in yourself no yeah <laughs> i think that's that's the important thing for everyone to remember is that everything is reversible or changeable if we give it a little bit of time we do the right thing for a certain amount of time there's so many things we can fix or make better and i think that we can round up or wrap up the the conversation around this of how can we genetically modify everything that we have inside just by paying attention to what we are doing just by paying attention to the emotions that we are having the cravings that we are having the stimuli that we are receiving or uh, looking for and sensing feeling our bodies no as you mentioned feeling how are we feeling when we eat something that is not making us feel well or um productive or is not making making us feel alert and also when we watch or when we listen to something that is also changing your your biology and your and your genes because you are being primed by everything that you are receiving and and imbuing your senses and that is going to disrupt at many levels the the signals of your body no 
Yeah, that's a good wrap up there, <laughs> David. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else that you want to talk about? I think this is a, a great place to stop. Um, if we want to do it again, we can certainly have yeah, another conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's perfect so that we can have a second part and go in the productiveness of the work area and how also it impacts in the in the companies no in the performance of a company in the performance of the employees and all of those topics are left yeah i think that's a really great idea surely yeah love that <laughs> okay well thank you everyone for listening and if we want a message for us to stay is you can always reverse your bad thoughts, bad decisions, or bad choices, and making them help help you improve and enhance your performance always. No. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode and integrating with this community to cultivate more awareness and consciousness in your inner health to create a new generation of humans. If you want more tools to grow your inner health with science and spirituality merch, visit www.davidortegab.com. Remember that you can subscribe to become a premium member and receive plenty of benefits in all five areas of your life. Nutrition, metabolism, emotional resilience, consciousness and abundance for as low as one US dollar daily if you pay monthly or 82 cents if you decide to pay it annually. Now is the time to take advantage for these special prices and upgrade your life to how you dream to be.